And welcome to another edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast. Jason Hamo along here with Kevin Mooney. Kevin, how you doing? I'm good, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And Chris Douglas, how are you, Chris? Jay, I'm doing well. We have another great guest on today. I would say the the highest executive we've ever had on the uh, podcast, the chief operating officer of Odyssey, uh, on the executive committee of the Radio Advertising Bureau, once named one of Radio Inc.'s most influential women in radio, and most importantly, Oswego's class of 1985, Susan Larkin. Susan, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. But by the way, I don't love that the year I graduated is now attached to me um, <laughs> because it, it tells people how old I am. Oh, don't worry about it. Age is, age is just, just a number. Just a number. That's it. Just a number. First and foremost, Susan, um, what is your message to Odyssey's listeners and employees um, about the bankruptcy issues that have that have come up recently? Yeah. So first, you know, let me start by saying um, Odyssey is a really large scaled uh, audio and entertainment company. We have 221 radio stations in 45 markets. We have three podcast studios and we're reaching two, you know, for all of our our radio stations and our, our brands and platforms, we're reaching 200 million people a month. And we have, you know, between full-time and part-time employees somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 5,000 employees. And so this is a really big company. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you know about bankruptcies. I will tell you, I know a lot more about <laughs> them than I, than I did before. Um, I've been quite educated on them. And, and you know, like a chapter seven is full liquidation. Mm-hmm. Chapter 11 has different versions. Our version was the best possible case scenario. And, mm-hmm. and so we ended up in this situation, which really is not disruptive in our day to day at all. So this positions us for really meaningful growth, for innovation, and for success in 2024 and beyond. And, you know, and we uh, told our team to expect that it is really business as usual from an operating standpoint, and that has been very true. So please know that we've talked about this publicly and internally, and, and you know, we're, uh, we're running our business and excited about the growth. Is there any hope in radio advertising bouncing back, or does Odyssey have to seek opportunities elsewhere? So- Radio advertising or audio advertising? Because, you know, the, 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 we are focused on audio and on radio because radio are brands and linear, the linear product that you're listening to in your car or on some other type of not non digital device. Uh, smart speakers have replaced radios in the home. And 48% of ad-supported audio listening on smart speakers comes from AM, FM stations. So you think about what that's done. So, you know, when we, we sort of think about all of it as an opportunity and we sell all of it. So it's really about, and, the, and what distinguishes Odyssey from other companies and what we believe that we're absolutely the best at is we're the best at creating premium audio content. So if you think about our brands and the ability to extend those brands, first of all, from a distribution standpoint, over platforms, we're reaching 200 million 
uh, listeners a month. And that's real money in terms of being able to monetize. In car listening, we went through a complete disruption during COVID and it and it came back, but our linear listening is not at the same levels. And it and it's diminished by a couple percent every year. So we plan for that. But our plan is to grow that listening on our digital platform at a much mm. greater rate. So advertisers want to buy it. Advertisers want targeted campaigns. They want a return on ad spend. And the other thing is that our, our personalities are the greatest influencers. They're the original influencers. Advertisers want to buy endorsements. And, you know, our ability, again, to have like Boomer Esiason, who, you know, hosts the morning show Boomer and Geo on WFAN in New York City, uh, he does, you know, he's very busy um, in a lot of things. And uh, but one of the things he also does is he hosts a football show with Mike Valenti, who's a huge personality for us, Afternoon Drive with um, the ticket in Detroit. And Detroit's really happy today. <laughs> um, but, you know, they do they do a weekly show and that's brand extension for both of them. And that's an opportunity for us to monetize as well. And there's like a thousand of these stories. So I think, you know, your your point about the ad market, um, we're bullish and we're confident mm -hmm. uh, because revenue chases audience. So as long as we can we can create amazing content and we can provide, uh, you know, the campaigns that advertisers want, the reporting that they expect, and we can prove their ad spend, then, you know, we should be able to grow our share and be successful. I was looking at Odyssey's website um, earlier, uh, and there's some really legendary sports and news radio stations in the portfolio, like in New York City, there's WFAN, there's WCBS, Tencent Wins, there's WIP in Philly, KMOX in St. Louis, EEI in Boston, WGR in Buffalo. We could go on KCBS in San Francisco, so many more. Um, and there are also you know, famous music stations too, like K-Rock in mm -hmm. Los Angeles and mm -hmm. WCBS and, or WNEW in New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what are the approaches in managing those music stations versus the, the news and talk stations? Yeah. So, um, as you said, you know, we have 43 sports stations, mm -hmm. um, eight all news and 20 news talk. And then the rest in the portfolio of the 221 is music. And it's interesting, you know, it's, it is, uh, it is much harder to, you know, if, if you wanted to launch a news talk station or an all news station or a sports station from the ground up right now, almost impossible, mm -hmm. almost impossible to do. And, not only do we have the benefit of these great storied brands, but we spend a lot of time thinking about strategy and how do we and 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 looking at research and understanding what our audiences want from us and evolving these stations. And while every single one is not necessarily number one, most are absolutely top performers. Our sports stations, are the best sports stations in the country. They're the mm -hmm. best portfolio. Our, nobody else has eight all news stations, all news, completely all news. Nobody else is doing that. We're the only ones doing that. So, you know, the investment that has occurred over the many years is the benefit that we have now 
because the brands are so well established. And if we can evolve those brands, but it is, um, it's not easy to do because mm-hmm. you have to modernize the content. You have to, you want to be able to reach a diverse audience uh, and, but you don't want to blow off people either. And you have to accommodate for, uh, you know, being available anytime, anywhere, obviously on demand is a huge thing. If you look at our sports station or all of our spoken word stations on our app, you will see that we have uh, a unique product and it's, it's called rewind and their chapters. And so you can go back to one of our sports stations and you can just look on the app and you can see, you know, different stories that were covered and just go to those stories. And so, you know, we're constantly evolving our product as well. But yeah, I mean, there is a lot that goes into our our strategy overall and our content management and, you know, helping to grow our personalities and coach our personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, It takes a lot of research. There's marketing involved and certainly just being able to execute that strategy flawlessly. It is not for the faint of heart and it's very, you know, it's sophisticated and complex. And the way that this was managed and the way that it was handled. I, you know, look, I've been in this business my entire career and I've seen it all. And we have the best and the brightest working at this company. And you know, if you did it 15 years ago in a different way, like it's not the same. It's mm-hmm. so much more complex now. And, uh, and, and it's been great. That part's been great because it's helped people grow. Uh, there's so much work involved in spoken word. Like, Someone's got to edit those interviews. Someone's got to edit those highlights. Someone's got to run those highlights. Someone's got to write sports updates, uh, news updates, top of the hour, whatever. Uh, uh, you know, every twenty, every twenty minutes, ten minutes, you name it. So there, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes at those stations versus a, a music station. You know, it's it's crazy. Oh yeah, and and look, but our but our music, our music morning shows. Um, especially, you know, there's a tremendous amount of prep that goes into the work that they do, but yeah, on the spoken word side, it, it takes more people, Mm -hmm. uh, to do the work. And, you know, we hope that in the future, there are opportunities with AI, not to replace people, but to take some of the, the task work and audit. It's really more about automation than it is anything else. But, you know, we're not going to find ourselves in a Sports Illustrated situation with, uh, you know, fake AI reporters. You know, we're really proud of our journalism with a capital J. We care about it. Uh, And we care very much about our reporters and our anchors and the authenticity and the credibility of the work that they're doing. And it's a lot of work. It's a tremendous amount of work. And so if we could help, you know, make some things easier with authenticated research or, you know, different things that might Mm. be able to help them be more productive in their roles. uh, That would be great. Are the stations, any of the stations currently already using AI, like chat GPT for anything, you know, like when it comes to interviews, you know, gathering, gathering questions or or things like that, do they already start, have they already started using that kind of stuff? We've given our team the opportunity to experiment within um, guidelines. And we want our team to experiment. Uh, We want, you know, as an example, if you think about back in the day when I first started out in sales, I was 
right selling. I was writing my commercials. In some cases, I was voicing them. I mean, like it was like you're doing it all. So now in production, if we 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 don't want our AEs writing commercials, and you know, God bless, but they're not the best commercial. Either was I, the best you know copywriter out there. Um, if that could help with copywriting, all the better. You know, mm-hmm. those are things that we've said. Sure, absolutely, experiment with it. See if if this helps you be more productive. And we have a team that you know is working together on that and has provided guidelines uh, to our team in how to experiment. Is there a lot of overlap in listenership between the the talk and music stations? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some. Uh, you know, there may be some people that, for instance, you know, you mentioned a station like K-Rock and K-Rock is such a legendary, unbelievable, amazing, crazy, you know, brand. And um, and you, you have listeners that might listen to our morning show or might listen to our news station in the morning, might listen to KNX in L.A., and then in the afternoon, they might be listening to K-Rock. And so there's definitely, you definitely see that. And we promote between our brands. So if, you're, if you've been listening to WFAN, you hear us promoting 1010 Wins on FM, um, which has been on you know FM for a little bit of time now. But uh, we promote, we cross promote our brands. We have, you know, the WNEW Morning Show, um, Karen Carson, in the morning and Karen and, and Johnny and intern Anthony have sat in um, with Boomer and Geo on WFAN. Mm-hmm. And, and we love doing that. They'll like literally come downstairs during the show and they'll sit and talk about, you know, something they'll say, okay, the guys upstairs are our subject matter experts. And we really like to do that. We like to, you know, kind of cross promote where it makes sense. As Jay had mentioned at the top of the show, you're on the executive committee of the radio advertising bureau. What are the main topics the Bureau is discussing right now? You know, so we the Radio Advertising Bureau serves its members mostly in services. And there is so much work that they are doing very particularly in sales training, in providing um, research and category stories, and presentations. They have a CRM that um, there are, that uh, many broadcasters use. Uh, so there's a lot of services that they're providing to broadcasters. And in addition to the advocacy piece, and the advocacy piece is definitely something that we're all sort of focused on in the future. And so, you know, REB has to balance because they're serving all broadcasters. They're serving, you know, the the Odyssey, iHearts and Cumulus of the world. I mean, we're the we're the big ones. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you've got a lot of um, medium sized broadcasters. and You have a lot of small broadcasters that rely because they don't have the scale or the resources or capacity for some of the services that the RIB is able to provide for them. But we together, all of the broadcasters as an organist and as an organization are really focused um, in moving that share of media, our share of voice higher and the ad- the advocacy piece and, and the research and measurement piece. It's really important for our future. 
So you've held various executive positions in radio for over 25 years. Uh, what are uh, some of the keys to your success uh, as a leader within the industry? Um, you know, I think the most important thing is that I really love what I do so much. I found a career in a business that on my hardest day is better than anything else I could possibly ever do. I love it. You know, I, when I was in, um, I, when I went was in school at Oswego and I was there in the communications department and I, um, my major was broadcasting at the time and now it's like a different degree and the school is different. But when I was there, I did that because I thought when I went to school that I wanted to be a theater major and my dad was like, no way. And I thought, okay, broadcasting, it's like the next closest thing. And I thought I would be on air and I did a few things and I took a few classes, but you know, I, I, I grew up uh, with not a lot in the way of means. And I definitely, I wanted to make money. I wanted to be successful. And my dad said, look, just find something you love and, and go all in leave it all on the field, just go all in every single day, run it hard. And I promise you, you'll be successful if you love what you're doing. And uh, and so that happened to me. And I knew that this was going to be the career that I was going to be in. But I also, uh, because I've lived in a number of different cities, I was also flexible. And I was not, I was focused on, I knew early on that I had to find the things that I was really good at and, and sort of lean into those. But I also knew that, you know, leadership, if you're a leader, you're not doing it alone. You mm -hmm. are, you are curious, you're asking lots of questions, and you're surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you. And I, you know, am nearly never the smartest person in the room, but I've been really smart about who I've surrounded myself with and also the people that I want to work for. And I, you know, the, the thing that I care the most about in our company is our team. It's number one. And I have a lot of gratitude um, to be surrounded by such an incredible team. And it is about collaboration and it is about always learning and getting better and raising the bar. But it's also, you've got to really work hard, be scrappy, have a ton of grit and be willing to fail. I mean, there are more jobs that I didn't get than I got, right? There were so many failures. There were jobs that I thought I deserved, promotions that I thought I deserved that I didn't get. And, you know, feel sorry for myself for two seconds and then, you know, just keep going. So I think the resilience and grit are probably the things that have seen me through, but the base is the passion for the business that I have. Did you um, work in sales when you were, when you were at the, at, in college, like when you, were you on it, you said you wanted to be on air. Did you do sales also for the radio station? No, or in no, I didn't do sales at all. As a matter of fact, I went to Doc O'Donnell. So you know, when I was in the sales and programming class that he had, Doc okay. O'Donnell's class, half half the time was spent in programming, half the time was spent in sales. And by the way, nobody comes out and says, oh, I want to be in sales. Like, it's not 
necessarily it's something so true. you say it's right. <laughs> no, like so I want to be a star. I want to be on air. Yeah. I want to be famous. You know, like those people that get into this business, like go into it, you know, or I, or I want to be in marketing or I want to be in creative, you know, go, I want to be in sales. So uh, when I, you know, we had people that would come in and speak to our class and I went to doc and I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, and I had a little like, and I didn't, by the way, I didn't intern at school. I was in a sorority. I was in the Greek student association. I was in our regular student association. I, um, I was doing a lot of things and, and I was, um, I was acting in plays. And so I, I didn't, um, I didn't really have time to intern anywhere, but I did some stuff with WTOP and like anchoring. And to be honest, not that great, not that great. And so I, uh, I went to Doc and I said, what do you think I should do? And he said, you know, if you want to make money and I feel like with your personality, you should really think about sales. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know anything about that. And he said, let me, let me um, connect you with an alum. And so he connected me with a woman who was selling television in Buffalo. And she said to me, she was in her second year. And I think her name was Maura Corcoran. I might be wrong, but um, I had a wonderful conversation with her. And she told me about her job. And she told me how much she loved it. And she said in her second year, she doubled what she was making in her first year. And I was like, okay, I need to check this out. And so I literally applied for a job. And I found my then boyfriend, now husband, who I met in Oswego, found, uh, saw an ad and said, there's a, there's a radio sales job. You know, maybe you should apply for that. And I did. And that's, the rest is kind of history. So when, when you were in school, um, there was, there were ESPN, Steve Levy was, was there right around the same time as you were. Um, did you, did you cross paths with, with Steve at any point during, during your, your time at the school? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I'm sure I did, but I don't have a recognition of that. I, I spent a lot of my time when I was there with my sorority, with sororities and fraternities, um, with folks on some of the sports teams, you know, baseball and, and hockey mostly. Uh, I actually, I, for like two weeks, I was on the swim team and then, cause I, I grew up with sports and, but um, the meets were on Saturday and as a freshman, I was like, yeah, that's not for me. And at the time it was a club team and you know, whatever, but, <laughs> but I was super like, I've always, and by the way, that's part of the reason why I also am doing what I love at this particular company, because I'm super passionate about sports and I'm super passionate about sports radio. It's my number one format of choice. I love it so much. I love to talk about it. I love to listen to it and consume all that it is. Um, And so I spent a lot of my time, you know, there and I didn't. So I probably, I was probably in class with him. I probably met him, um, but Mm. I, I wasn't friends with him or anything. So did you attend a few games at Romney? Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. I did. And that's, was... I, that's your, your throwing bagels. Huh? Sure. That's, that's, exactly. That's where that came from. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what, what was the atmosphere like at, at that time? 
attending hockey games and stuff in, in the mid eight early mid eighties. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was rough. It was rough and cold. Like that's what it was. You know, when you're in that field house, and it's not like what it is today. I mean, let's face it, campus yeah. when I was there was not what campus is today. And it's so much nicer. And the sports facilities are, I mean, you're talking about like old wood seating and you know, That's right. all of that. That's right. Like it was, it was, it was rough and tumble. You bundled up, you drank a bunch of beer before you went in there. You, <laughs> you know, everybody was very loud and rough. And mm -hmm. that was the crowd, but it was super fun. I think proud of our Lakers. Yes. Well, Ed, I believe Ed Gozik was playing actually. Maybe he maybe he graduated like he went what was it 83 or uh somewhere around there. So he may have been on the who knows, he may have been on the ice when you were there in Romney or Could in be. your when you first got there. So who knows? Yeah, so the guys so I knew on uh, on the yep, team were not famous. <laughs> <laughs> and mostly from Canada. Were they the guys that didn't play as much? Is that what you're saying? Or <laughs> they weren't? No, I don't know. They just weren't. Um, you know, they they like to. They, I mean, they loved hockey, obviously. Um, but they also like to have a lot of fun. And you know, we just look. We were. I lived in a house. Um, I didn't live in the sorority house, but I lived in 91 Fifth Ave. I lived in a house off campus, and we were very enterprising um we were a very enterprising group because we all needed to and i should have known like that maybe that would have but uh my friends um and actually i'm i'm next weekend i'm seeing a bunch of my sorority sisters we're on a, a trip together and we haven't seen each other in many years but we were an enterprising group and what the the guys on the hockey team our friends on the hockey team helped us with was we needed to make money and so we decided that we would have after parties and we convinced the beer distributor in Oswego, I don't know how, to front us the kegs Was and it that we would pay them after. <laughs> and these guys helped us. They were like our bouncers and they sort of just helped us like carry kegs and do all this. And we gave them a cut. And we charge, you know, a few bucks a door at our house. Now, the, the reality was, and that was all of our, that, that was our grocery money. That was our going out money. And, you know, we had a, we had a little business there. It was pretty good. You can probably. I, anyway, I think back at like, I, I do think back at some of the crazy stuff, like, you know, that, that occurred back then. It was so fun. And it was so even like our hell night, you know, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. People make it out to seem like it's well. Right. Although I know I know other fraternities that have done way worse things than than my fraternity ever did. So, but that's neither. That's a different story for another day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the hazing stories have to have to sit off to the side right now. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But look, I mean, it's really fun to be able to. You know, what's what what was great was when I moved back to New York City, mm. working for Odyssey, I was able to connect with some of my closest friends from Oswego because there are so many people and in our industry um, on, you know, the sales and revenue side, on the content side, I, I found so many, uh, you know, uh, acquaintances and then reconnecting with friends there. And that was great. And I was thrilled because, you know, when you sort of 
become a bit of a nomad and you live in a bunch of different cities, you don't stay as connected. And that's why I didn't really, quite frankly, stay as connected to Oswego. And that's why I've been, you know, grateful that Dana Murphy has helped um, sort of reconnect me mm-hmm. with the school that I, you know, feel so grateful for the opportunity to uh, graduate from. You mentioned your nomadic lifestyle for for a while. Where where have you gone across this country in your career? Yeah, so I I started out uh, in Syracuse, well Auburn, then Syracuse, New York, um, and then Tampa, Florida, and. And that's it. And the irony of that is when I went, when I moved to Tampa, I worked for CBS and that was my first, you know, I was there for a number of years and the original CBS pre-infinity and now at Odyssey, it's a version of CBS radio. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting sort of the full circle Mm -hmm. moment there, but, uh, but I worked in Tampa and then I went to Columbus, Ohio and I work there and that was my first management job. I was a uh, national sales manager in Columbus, and I worked for J-Corps. I started there working for Great American Citycasters, and I, then J-Corps pre-Clear Channel. And then I moved to Minneapolis and worked for ABC, Disney, and ESPN. And I started selling sports in in uh, in Florida, and then I was able to do that in Columbus, you know, Ohio State Buckeyes. And that was my first experience with a big college football team because we didn't have a football team and so you know hockey was our jam and and other sports but and Oswego so that was you know to be able to sit in the shoe in Columbus Ohio and broadcast games and have sports coverage and have you know some of these I mean people like Kirk Herbstreet and others Earl Bruce and some of the the greats um be part of our talent pool. And then, so then I moved, when I went, moved to ABC, um, Disney in Minneapolis, I worked for rock stations. Those are now cumulus stations, but we had Disney and we had the connection with ESPN. And so that's where I got to know a ton of folks from Bristol and ESPN. And then I moved to Orlando, Florida, and that was my first, um, job as a general manager and then a market manager. And I was working for uh, Cox Enterprises, Cox Media Group at the time. And I was there for 11 years and I was a, a, a general manager, market manager, and then I was a regional vice president overseeing other markets. And then I joined Odyssey in 2017 and my adventure started in San Francisco and I went out to San Francisco and that was incredible. It was incredible to go work with KCBS and Alice in a really great city with an incredible team. And I wasn't out there very long when our then COO, Wheezy Kramer, uh, asked me to come back home to New York City and and run the market. And so I was uh, I was also a regional president and overseeing the New York City market. And then in 2020, I moved into my current role as COO and I moved to Philadelphia because that's where we're based. So that's moved around a little bit. What originally led you to go to Oswego? Were, were there other colleges that you were interested in going to, or how did that work out for you? Uh, you know, that is a really interesting question. So I sort of defied my parents a little bit. Um, you know, first, again, I wanted to go to a theater school. And so I started to explore that and I got really shut down very quickly on that. And Um, You know, my parents really wanted me to go to Cornell or Syracuse 
And those schools were very expensive. And I felt like that was going to be more problematic for me financially. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, just to apply to a whole bunch of SUNY schools and got into most of them. And the reason why I ended up at Oswego is that, again, my dad uh, knew some people that had been there and had a really good experience. And he's like, you know, that's the one that we went up to see the campus and it looked cool and it was far enough away from them, from my family, um, but still in the state, but it was a far enough drive. And then of course there was like an airline that, you know, you could go back and forth, but it was a far enough drive that I was far enough away, but I could drive home if I wanted to. So that's how I ended up there. I mean, it, it there was really not a lot of rhyme or reason um, when I got dropped off there. <laughs> Did you get a, a tour of the campus at all? Did you do any sort of orientation before you came uh, and actually attended the school? Yeah, I did. Okay. I did. We went up to look at the campus um, and we went, you know, we went to Oneonta, we went to Oswego, we'd sort of ruled out a couple of other ones. There were a couple that I just felt were like, weren't going to be a fit for me, but I don't know. I just, I was sort of taken with, you know, look, spending time in New York city and Rockland County, um, you know, to be on Lake Ontario, to have this beautiful scenic campus that it was very attractive and, and it had, it had a very good theater program. So I was like, that's my way in and, and also a really good broadcasting program. So I guess that's how I ended up there because it was sort of the combination of all of it. It was the best fit for me. When you think of your experience at Oswego, what did you learn there that you've taken with you throughout your career? It was interesting because the classes that we took uh, in the you know broadcasting and now communication media and the arts program, um, the classes that we took were so comprehensive and mm. they covered everything from broadcast engineering. Like I remember that class, that was interesting. So that class was me and like five dudes sitting around a table <laughs> with a professor and basically saying, okay, you're going to acquire a radio station. You're going to get an FCC license. You're going to build a tower. You're going to build a building. Mm. You're going to put it like put a whole business plan together. And that was actually the engineering class. And it was like a 300 level class. And so it was going to be a lot of credit. It was an intimate setting where literally we sat around with a professor and that wasn't, you know, as opposed to like broadcasting 101 when you're in this huge this huge uh, lecture hall, and, lecture hall, right? Yeah. I mean, it's huge. And so I loved the smaller classes. Mm -hmm. And as you went into the higher level classes, you were able to have these smaller classes. And so I learned a lot about the business itself. I, I learned about FCC licenses. I learned about in programming and sales, like just the mechanics of how it worked. And I think that it helped me BS my way into my first job. But the thing that I learned the most is I did learn a lot about the business and the experiences in the theater department were very helpful to me ultimately in sales because I also I also did a lot of um, I took directing classes and things like that, which helped me in leadership and management. And I, you know, I didn't know that at the time, but what I learned were all those skills that you need in the working world. And, and some of them happen to be specialized to the industry that I was in. So again, I felt really, really fortunate 
to gain that, we'll say, you know, book knowledge and some practical experience to be able to translate it. But more than anything else, I think I was excited about the medium itself. Like I knew, you know, after taking all those classes, that if I could find a job in broadcasting, that's where I wanted to end up. I didn't know I was going to love it as much as I was. I just thought it was going to be a cool, fun business. I mean, it's the entertainment business. And being in a media business, I thought would be great. So so I wasn't, you know, sort of like my roommate, you know, I had a roommate who was a marketing major and a roommate who was a business major. And they sort of, some went to work for ad agencies, a couple went to law school, like people did different things. And for me, I wanted to be on the entertainment side of things. I had no idea that I was going to love it as much as I, I did. And that, um, you know, that I would end up in uh, an executive position. So you you mentioned, you know, taking a class where it was basically you and and like five guys sitting around a, sitting around a table doing the work. Um, when you graduated Oswego in the mid eighties, the radio industry was, was a pretty heavily male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Um, did you face any barriers you know, or challenges, you know, being a woman breaking into the, into radio sales at that, at that time in the mid eighties? No, um, I didn't have challenges breaking in to the industry at all. Um, there were, uh, you know, I think it, it was more challenging to break into management positions. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit harder. And I always felt like, um, you know, the there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in leadership positions. And so the ones that were there, but I sort of didn't think about that at the time. You know, I never felt, and, and, I, and I will say, I, I have always felt fortunate to be able to forge through my career uh, and and not have to um, feel that I wasn't offered a position because I was a woman. The positions I didn't get, I didn't get because I didn't either have enough experience um, or I was younger at the time or um, or whatever you know, whatever else thing. I I don't think it was ever that, but I do think that uh, especially, you know, I've raised two kids, I've moved them around. Most, there are a lot of women that find that harder to do. And uh, so there's been sacrifices and I've put my career first in many cases. I'm so close to my children. They're amazing, very successful people and I've always stayed really close to them, but they've known how important my career is. And so I have traveled a lot. I've worked a ton of hours. I've I've done all those. I've made my kids go to school when they were sick. Like I didn't care. It was like, you know, <laughs> buck up, you're fine. It's all going to be fine. And I always wanted to, you know, I wanted to compete at the highest levels, but it certainly it is I think a little bit harder for women because, you know, you're still, especially if you're a parent and because you're still the go-to mom and you have everything else that you're juggling. And, you know, I would sort of joke and say, well, okay, guys, it's a little bit easier. It seems a little bit easier for you um, than it is for me. So, but I do think that, I do think that the responsibility I feel really passionately about helping 
to support women grow into leadership positions and not have them feel like they can't have it all because you can have it all. You just can't have it all great all the time. And that's not, and that's not gender specific. That's for any of us, any of us that want to forge our careers, you have to make sacrifices and personal, professional, you know, we make choices in the things that we are willing to do and not willing to do um, based on some of those choices. But I'm, I'm really passionate about helping support women. And do you feel like the times have changed to a, you know, pretty decent amount, you know, from probably, I would say, you know, from the 2000s on to today, where there's, you know, it's, there's a lot more women in these senior leadership positions. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the other thing too, is, you know, I have the benefit of, I have a son and a daughter, but my, my daughter is 25 and she's a badass. And she um, is, she was a college athlete and at the highest levels. And, and she is in the music business now, but she sees no barriers, none whatsoever. She doesn't feel like she thinks that she can do anything that she wants to do. And so I think I didn't necessarily see those things as visibly, but I don't think that I had the same type of um, aspirations. Like my brother and my family will tell you that I was always like super determined and they felt like I would be successful because I was ambitious. I never thought that necessarily when I was younger, but, but when I look at her and her friends, I just like, they are going and they don't see, they don't see obstacles at all. And that's great. Um, so, but I do think it's harder also because folks that are just coming into the industry also don't have patience and mm. you need patience because you're, you know, just because you started and you're pretty good at your job, you're not getting promoted in two months and you're not going to come in making, you know, a whole bunch of money to start. And, and many think that that's the case. I think in hindsight, you probably, uh, had that determination. You just didn't realize it. Whereas you see it in your daughter now, and that probably was you back in the day. You just, in your mind at the time, you didn't think, you know, you didn't, you didn't see it because it's, it's not something that you can really see, you know, versus yeah, you I probably wasn't your daughter. As conscious. Yeah. I wasn't probably as conscious about it. But, you know, look, I always, I always, I've called upon mentors and other people for advice. I've always collaborated with others in our industry and, uh, and, you know, tried to be better. And, and I think now any leaders that, that aren't growth minded personally um, will fail. I mean, you have to, to be a successful leader, you have to be really curious and you have to get better and constantly sort of raise a bar. And I think that's something that was instilled in me early on. So it probably is DNA. Um, how, how important is it for you to engage with Oswego students and alumni? So, you know, I, I will be honest with you. It hasn't been important to me. Um, mm. and it hasn't been important to me, not because I haven't cared. It, it, it wasn't top of mind. Um, you know, as you're sort of forging your career and then I'm, you know, putting kids through college and all of a sudden I become fans of their colleges. You know, that's the other thing. My kids went to different schools and 
and so, you know, that sort of became the priority. My husband went to the same college that I, you know, went to Oswego also. And but we but whether it was the kids' high school was a priority. The kids' colleges were a priority. And sort of giving back to my own university was not something that I was as conscious of until recently, you know, sort of really thinking about and engaging with students. And um, because, you know, again, it's it's more like, okay, I'm spending time with my kids' friends that want advice and mentoring, mm-hmm. mentoring people in our company or in the industry doing that formally and informally. It's like, ain't nobody got time to do all of this. <laughs> so, um, so it hasn't, it hasn't been, I've always cared about it, but I've not carved out the time. So, so now, you know, now, now I have so much time on my hands. Now I have no time. I have zero time. <laughs> time is what I don't have at all. But luckily I'm not a big sleeper. So I can, I can, you know, just keep going. Um, but yeah, I, I was excited about the opportunity to kind of reconnect with people from Oswego, you know, to sort of come full circle and host that event that, that we had um, recently at Odyssey in New York. And, um, you know, and Dana's helped me sort of make that connection more. But also, you know, it's funny because some of my friends and sorority sisters that um, I had one there at the event um, come join me and I have few that just couldn't make it and were so bummed out they couldn't make it and were, were excited about seeing others. And so, so I'm, I'm, you know, connected with my sorority sisters because they are my friends, but in terms of student, current students at school, when I first graduated, I came back multiple times and spoke and did some things. And then it just sort of like, you know, time went by and I wasn't, I wasn't doing that anymore. And I haven't been to, you know, the comms dinners or any of that either. And it's just, it's really been like, what's the priority? Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. company thing industry thing that sort of last not like you know how much going on or anything like that not not at all (laughs) yeah before we get you out of here we like to ask all of our alumni from oswego about food because you know we are the throwing bagels podcast and we like bagels and we like all kinds of other food too um Back in our tenure, the big to-do in the dining hall, the craze was the chicken patty sandwich. And I'm wondering, was that the same back when you were in uh, yes. college as well? It was the same thing. Chicken patty Absolutely. sandwich. Absolutely. Chicken patty sandwich, with, uh, mine was with, uh, you know, yellow American cheese. And well, no question. The two biggest things were the chicken patty sandwich and then also when there was like wing chicken wing night like that was a huge thing for us there was like it would be like a special thing that you could do um but yeah no that was my favorite that was lunch every day chicken patties (laughs) nice with american cheese we Um, didn't we didn't have we didn't have wing we didn't have wing night yeah i don't think so no i don't think so they did away with that they they had (laughs) when when we were there but yeah i mean that's the like most memorable thing that um that i ate there and just just American cheese, just yellow American cheese, no mayonnaise, no ketchup, nothing, no lettuce, tomato, nothing like that. Just no. just no just cheese. And no, because I'm not like a mayonnaise fan. 
And I couldn't really think about putting anything else. The cheese sort of felt like a condiment to me. I mean, I really like ketchup, but I, you know, I didn't mix that then. That was, that was pretty much it. Look, I also, one of the other, one of my other, uh, in addition to ramen noodles and all the other stuff that we ate while we were there, <laughs> but one of the other things I used to like to get in the dining hall was I used to like to get a bagel with butter with, um, and then take uh barbecue potato chips and smash them in between Ooh. and eat that. That was a very nutritious lunch for me. That sounds delicious, actually. My wife does yes. that with, 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 with potato chips also. She still nice. does that. <laughs> you guys, it's the best. If you take a toasted bagel and you put a little bit of butter and then you take barbecue potato chips and you put it in and you smash them, I am telling you, it's great. Although I, to be honest, I, I say this so cavalierly, like I've had it recently. It's been a hundred years since I've had it. <laughs> I know it was good. She was a senior in college last time she, last time she actually had it. Right, exactly, exactly. I worked in the dining hall my senior year. Ah. I worked, yeah, there's a little bit of trivia. Um, I worked in the dining hall in the sub shop. And then I also did a little bit of banquet waitressing um, oh serving. God. I worked my at the bank. Only thing my too. senior year. <laughs> yep. Oh, Any time. sub shop hey. orders? Um, oh, or Oswego sub for, shop? Yeah, yeah, Oswego yeah, sub yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah. First of all, way too many onions, people. Like, way <laughs> too many onions. The smell of onions, the whole onion thing was like not what my thing. I was definitely, I was definitely like a turkey and cheese gal with um with lettuce you know dressing mm -hmm. sort of like the italian dressing mm -hmm. oil and vinegar thing that's what so they're very they're very heavy they're very heavy on the um on the condiments in general there yes they're there I mean, you, the have to, you have to like you have to you have to literally tell you'd them. have to yeah the subs would be like so soaked <laughs> yeah you have to very you have to always tell them go light. Like whenever I get a cheeseburger sub, I'm like light on the lettuce because otherwise it's just basically a sandwich with lettuce. I used to go. We used to get, um, you know, pizza pub pizza like the calzone yes. that was basically the yes. folded over pizza. That was a fan favorite. <laughs> and then Pizza Hut. Remember the so the Pizza Hut there sells sells of course wings. Um, although I didn't like the whole wing, like that whole wing thing. Oh yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Clam bake. Mm -hmm. Some good food there. Yeah. Canales. I'm Was sorry. there? Was oh, Canales yeah, there? Yeah, of course. Canales. Of course. Wow. Canales. Yeah, definitely. Nice big chunk of lasagna. Oh. Nice big chunk of <laughs> I know. And then of course Rudy's and the stand. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. And Bev's. A fried fish something and ice cream. <laughs> that's, that's there you go. That is a perfect. I mean the picture. I was the something. picture. I was the picture of health my freshman year. Not. We've all been. We were all like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I think. I think you have to be like that if you went to Oswego. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I was in sports, and I came from a family that liked to eat pretty healthy, and I went up there, and it was like, <laughs> holy! I remember I came home oh. freshman year, and my parents were like horrified, like, "What happened to you?" And then you know. <laughs> I learned just college just college college yeah. happened you gotta Fear you gotta you gotta yeah well you gotta deal with the cold somehow that's what we always say that's you have right. to deal with the cold that's somehow right. big down coat yep <laughs> yeah well susan uh this was fantastic we really appreciate the time uh and 
all the stories and uh and everything um and we wish you nothing but success in everything and we hope to see odyssey you know continue to build and and continue to to grow from from where you are right now thank you so much this was so much fun and i appreciate your inviting me and the opportunity to meet you guys and i hope that your podcast continues to go i mean this one no doubt is going to get so many downloads so <laughs> anyway um thank you i've enjoyed it very much and that was another great interview from susan larkin um although she didn't really want to say it but class of 85 oswego graduate uh guys that was another fantastic interview agreed Probably going to be the highest executive we ever get on this on this podcast. <laughs> Unless we get I, the president of the United States. Oh, you never know. <laughs> we'll work on that one. We'll work. Yeah, on it. We'll worry. that'll take that'll take some work. Uh, but yeah, yes, you're right. And it was great that I mean, I, she mentioned she had a really busy schedule and I'm sure she is. Every second is on the calendar, right? So the fact that she took that hour out to speak with us, it, it, it was really uh phenomenal it was really great of her to do that yeah and very much appreciated too i mean like you said she's got a million and a half things to do and especially with what her company's going through right now just to make some time for us three knuckleheads and yeah right you know so <laughs> i mean i, I met her really cool. I, I met her at the uh at the event at the odyssey offices and i literally spoke to her for you know two minutes you know mm -hmm. she was all around the place. And at the end I was like, Hey, how you doing? You know, and kind of tried to talk to her quickly and, you know, see if she'd want to join us. And, you know, she said, reach out to her and that was it. So I mean, I didn't get a chance to really talk to her too much that night, but you know, I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad, we, I'm glad I was able to get those, those two minutes and, you know, quickly just say hi. And cause you know, it was definitely a great, definitely a great interview. Mm -hmm. Um, but quickly let's, let's just quickly recap you know, this, this past weekend in football, you know, the lions and the Ravens winning great, great game, that lions game. And the, and, uh, you know, and then we had the, the Niners and the, uh, and the, the chiefs last night. And unfortunately the bills, once again, somehow, somehow finding a way oh, Buffalo. To, 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 you know, to, to kill themselves, yeah. to just, you know, will it ever happen? That's the question. <laughs> will it ever happen? eventually but I, my my main concern is has anyone checked on bren axe all right we, we need to go check on our friend bren axe make sure he's still okay all right we don't need him start smoking again in the bad habits but make you sure know who's happy right. right now you know who's happy right now another friend of the state a friend of the uh the podcast joe yurden joe yurden yes. oh my goodness i mean his lines haven't done anything since he was uh 12 years old i think is is <laughs> the last time they were they were uh in this position and you know there i saw something today uh where the last time the lines were in this position like things like twitter and myspace and google and amazon weren't even in existence no no which is for just <laughs> for just to put it in perspective that's wild that is so wild to me they have a they have a very if the hey, if the Niners play anything like they did this week, the Lions have a fantastic opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Look, the Lions, their colors aren't in the Super Bowl logo. Yeah, so that means they're well, not the other question. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I am I am if it if it does happen, <laughs> if it does happen and we do see a Niners Ravens Super Bowl, 
I am very curious to see what the colors are next year. <laughs> because you know what's going to happen is is Aaron Rodgers will just come out and just start spewing BS again. So please just make it to other teams. Well, that's the that's the thing. Is it, if it's can you imagine if it's all green? Because then it's like Jets and Eagles fans going crazy. We're going to make the Super Bowl. You know, like the whole thing is just green. And it doesn't matter like which side is which color. Like how do you decide like who makes it? You know, I don't know. The conspiracy theories are abound, I tell you. But it, I mean, it, so what? The conspiracy theory is that the last two, the, the last two Super Bowl logos before this one, right. the colors that were somewhat vaguely reminiscent of the two teams that were participating. Very vaguely. That is, very that is vaguely. A, like very vaguely. Yeah. Enormous stretch. Enormous. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a symptom but, of people with too much time on their hands. Exactly. But the conspiracy theorists oh. love that kind of stuff. You know, those conspiracy theory dorks are like, this is fantastic. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Look at this. You got the, uh, what's his name? Who's the running back that, that said, that said the NFL is scripted. Uh, you know, oh, there's more than one, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, but it was recent. Like, oh man, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he was like when he came out and said the NFL is completely scripted. I'm like, come on, dude. Really? Not entirely. Not entirely. Like, that's that's insane. You cannot script this. Just this is, there's there's no way. It's impossible. Yeah. Impossible. Just I tell you. Things. No the referees, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, referee, uh, the, the one thing, the one thing, and I know Chris, I know Chris is very, there. I know Chris, you're very, you have a very strong opinion on this, but the referees, first of all, refereeing has been horrendous all season. It's but been pretty rough. Yes. Let's yeah. let's call a spade a spade. When can we just get like some sort of digital marker I mean, for the football? Like we have old on. people. I mean, in the guys White can barely hats. see who are marking the football. They're like seventy years old. <laughs> I mean, they're they're older than dirt. They're using a stick and chains to 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 measure ten yards. Meanwhile, in soccer, we have automated offsides. Like, why can't you use the same technology to mark the ball like, in a in a in a gazillion dollar industry sport? You know, they can't afford to like to, to do this. Baffling. Yeah. You can't. Put a tracker in the football to determine where it is on the right. Field. There you go. Something. Just, wow. just something. Have, like, just do the same thing that soccer does with VAR. You have you have people in a booth somewhere overlooking everything. If the official blatantly misses something, be like, hey, dude, you missed this. Oh, sorry. Okay, we'll spot it over here instead. It's that simple. And yeah, then I the get problem, it. Like it's over refereeing. Can't stop it every, stop it every second. Every, no, every I understand spot that. Of the football. I get that. But if it's so blatant. Right. I mean, if it's that blatant or if it's, you know, that close and you need to get it right then get it right. Like People love getting the first down or not. More. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of the spotting over the weekend was just unbelievable. Like the, yeah. like a yard short here and a yard short there. And it's like, come on, man. Well, fellas, this was a fantastic episode. Another fantastic episode, I should say. And we have another fantastic episode coming up in in two weeks. Um, you can catch us at our email address, throwingbagelspodcast at gmail.com. Catch us on Facebook, on Twitter, on X, whatever the hell you want to call it, on Instagram, threads, LinkedIn, and wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen, or you can just listen on our website at throwingbagels.com. Kevin, Chris, this was a great one. Another good episode coming up in two weeks. Have a good one. You too. So
See ya.